Scripture this evening is from the book of Psalms, Psalm 139, verses 1 through 6. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my laying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Good evening. Open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 30. Proverbs 30. In this passage, life has progressed for Solomon, one of the all-time wealthiest men, and of course in Scripture, the wisest man comes to a conclusion and encourages us to make a simple request of the Lord. Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. He begins with a statement here. Give me neither poverty nor riches, neither extreme, just enough to get by for the day. If you teach in a public setting and maybe have children in your class that are from a poor background or maybe in your work environment, you serve people who are poor or maybe you've returned from a mission trip from a third world country, you see it. You see it up close. And it impacts you. Uh, You're aware that there are people in this world who are struggling. But something also happens when God puts you in places and circumstances like that. When you come back home or you get back to your house and you remove yourself from that situation where you're around those who are destitute or very poor and you're back with those who have plenty, you can feel sorry. For those who have so much. You just wonder, how can we be comfortable with all of our affluence? So much, so, it's so easy in our country, in the West, in America, to put emphasis on things. And we sometimes miss it. One man came back from a mission trip to Kenya. He was there for quite a while, and there was one man in particular that became like a close friend to him there. And, and before he left, he asked his Kenyan Christian friend, he said, okay, shoot straight with me. Tell me what you think about American Christians. What do Christians in Kenya think about Christians in America? He told him a couple of things. He said, for one, your worship services are too short, and we view that as a sign of a lack of commitment compared to the way we do worship. But he also said, I think the biggest difference would be that we feel you don't know very much about suffering. And you don't know very much about poverty. And the man who shared that said, you're absolutely right. And he agreed because they give them a deeper experience in the Lord of having to rely on them. Our text here in Proverbs says, if we have too little, we wonder whether or not God is there. Is He taking care of us? Does He care for us? If we have too much, we become self-sufficient. And we forget there is a God. We stop caring about Him altogether. 
What do you think about Solomon's request here? Give me neither poverty nor riches. Let me just be in the middle. What do you think about those words? I don't think many of us pray to be poor, do we? Let me put it this way. In fact, look on this next screen. Here's the question. And I want you to raise your hand on which one you would pray. So I'm going to give you a heads up that those are your two prayers. God make me poor or God make me rich. How many of you would pray, God make me poor? Be honest. My hand is the only one up. And I'm just doing that to show you what it looks like to raise your hand. How many of you would say, God, God made me rich? Raise your hand. Be honest about it. Okay. Hey, most of us are just Christians who like our filthy lucre, aren't we? What is it about this? Some worded the question this way. Would you rather be rich and depressed or poor and happy? We don't like those options, so we would reward it and say, can I be moderately wealthy and mildly depressed? You know, we just kind of want to be in the middle, don't we? Maybe you dream of winning the sweepstakes. Maybe you you dream of getting that, that big bonus or that super job that pays so well, or maybe that inheritance from a relative that you didn't even know you had and, and you made it. And you, you've got plenty. Earthly poverty seems like a strange, unusual thing to set for a goal. That's, that's what you would want. Some do it, like Mother Teresa, and they do it well. They seem to have the, the right perspective about it. But when we think about Solomon's wisdom here, how to face each day, he's got a different set of rules. Remember in the Gospels where Jesus met the wealthy man? We won't turn there because I think you know the story by heart. The man was obviously in love with the stuff, and Jesus knew that. He asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, knowing where his heart was, told him to sell it all, give it to the poor, and come follow Jesus. Mark's account of the story said the man's face fell. It was very telling. And we know how the story ends. He walks away. And Jesus turns to His disciples and says this in Mark 10.25, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. So maybe that's a healthy backdrop for us to think about as we approach this topic. So would you rather have little? Or would you rather have much? you want to be rich or you want to be poor? Well, the book of Proverbs speaks to both. So I want us to look at both as well. So first, what if you had much? What if you had a lot? What if you were rich? You were one of those people. And maybe you'd rather be one of those. You have a lot to work with, you know? Because if you were wealthy, think about all the things you could do. Not only would your life be good, I think that's an obvious, but you could help other people. You could be generous with other people. You, could, you wouldn't be a burden on your family or your children because you would have the means to take care of yourself. In the Bible, wealth is often seen is painting the picture as a blessing of God. That God is taking care of you. That, they are, that these, these blessings are from Him. Flip with me through Proverbs. The verses are not going to be on the screen, but I want us to look at these together. Several uh, passages. We're going to start in chapter 3. Go back to Proverbs chapter 3. And I put them in order. So you can go back to Proverbs 3 and just kind of follow with me. If you didn't bring your Bible, you can grab the one in the pew in front of you. 
Proverbs 3. I'll give you a moment to turn there, and we're going to start in verse 9 and 10. Many of you know this verse. may have it marked in your Bible. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. This idea of having plenty seems to be, according to this verse, a blessing of God. You honor God, you're generous, He's going to reward you for that. Skip over a few pages. Proverbs 10. Proverbs 10, 22. And this verse is very point blank. Proverbs 10, 22. The blessing of the Lord brings wealth without painful toil for it. The blessing of the Lord brings wealth. Okay, one page over. Proverbs eleven twenty five. Proverbs eleven twenty five. A generous person will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. See these people who are wealthy. Why? Because according to this, they've been generous and God's blessed them. Flip over to Proverbs thirteen twenty two. A couple of pages, maybe one page over. Proverbs thirteen twenty two. A good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children but a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. So, maybe after all, it's better to have much. And if you listen to what Proverbs is saying here, of course when we ask that too, we say how much is enough. If we say much, how much is too much? If you're looking for a figure or for a dollar amount, I don't think the answer is the same for just everyone. It's too much when you start saying, as Solomon said, who is the Lord? Does he even care about me? Who is God? That's what Solomon says. But when we start to think that God is lucky to have us on his team rather than encouraging or recognizing our dependence on him. But let's put that on pause for a moment and realize that the book of Proverbs also deals with the other side of the coin. What about a life of little? Would that be a prayer we dare to pray? A life of simple means. Because, let's be real about this. As much as we'd like to have plenty and be able to bless others and, and to be generous, when we do have things, there's a part of us sometimes where we feel guilty for that. You ever felt that way? Your house is so big. Your car is so nice. You eat and you have this nice meal and there's some left over and you feel guilty for how blessed we are. We talk all the time about how we need to be careful with our money, how it can become our master. Max Licato made this statement. Money can buy you a bed but not sleep. A house but not a home. Luxuries but not a life. Stuff but not a savior. So maybe it's better just to have a little. Just enough to get by. Just enough to feed your family and, and pay your bills, not be a burden to anyone, but not, not, not a lot of the, the luxuries. Of course, then we have to figure out and define what, what are the luxuries, right? Because what we deal with now is standard. Our parents and grandparents and great-grandparents would say are definitely luxuries. How big can your flat panel TV be? before it's too much. You know, 
You can have cable as long as you get the standard package. You know, we find these ways, do we not, of thinking through all this. Flip back to Proverbs 11. Let's look at a few more verses. Proverbs 11. Proverbs has a lot to say about wealth, but it also has a lot to say about having a little. Proverbs 11.4 Wealth is worthless in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Look down in verse 28. Proverbs 11.28 Those who trust in their riches will, will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. Turn it a couple of pages over. Proverbs 13.8 I think this one's kind of funny. A man's riches may ransom his life, but a poor man hears no threats. Kind of like that, don't you? If you're poor, you don't need a burglar alarm on your house. You're not worried about that. There's nothing worth stealing, right? Flip over another page. Proverbs 15, 16. Proverbs 15, 16. Better a little fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. So maybe it's better to have a little then. As you make your way through Proverbs, you, you might even go, Solomon, make up your mind. Wealth is of God, but it's also, it can be trouble. I mean, which one is it, Solomon? Is it wealth? Is it, is it little? What's the right answer? Well, I think it all comes down to this. And you know this already. It comes down to your perspective of how you view what God has entrusted to you. There's a theologian, Swingley, who said, if you possess something that you cannot give up, then you do not possess it. It possesses you. I think we can all relate to things that we sometimes cling to a little too tightly. They become a little too precious to us. I think to help us understand the question or maybe how to ask the question is, is you know, how, how do we pray? How do we know? How do we feel about things? Because as I think about this, I think there's a lot of factors that play into this. We talked this morning in the Sunday school class I'm a part of about the hand of God, the sovereignty of God. And, and sometimes that's a factor in that. Whether it's His blessing or we're in a situation of little. That may be what God's done for your life. So there's other circumstances. There's the setting. There's the upbringing that you've received. There's your education. There's the economic climate that you're a part of. A lot of different factors to, to pull into this. Howard Hendricks tells of a well-to-do Christian family who was asked how they were able to grow up, grow up with such wealth and not become consumed with materialism. And that's not easily done. Here's what they said. Our parents taught us that everything within our house was either an idol or a tool. An idol or a tool. That's how it is with money. It can be either. There's a Roman proverb that says, Riches are like salt water. The more you drink, the more you thirst. The first church where CNF served, there was a family who, because of his vocation, uh, was very wealthy. He was a heart surgeon, did very well. But to look at this family, the way they dressed, where they carried themselves, the car they drove, you would not think of them as being an affluent family at all. They just look just like everyday, regular people. But not only that, they, their children, I know they had several children and they were all well-behaved. 
when I got to know them a little bit better, I, I learned that Dr. Ewing grew up as the child of missionaries. So he grew up, his upbringing was a situation where he didn't have much. Well, this was before seeing I had kids, and I'd always try to look at those who were doing a good job parenting. And I remember one time asking Pat, how do you do that? What's your secret? What advice would you give? And I asked her, especially when they had so much money, and that didn't seem to be a part of their identity at all. And she told me this, and I've never forgotten it. She said, you know, I can't tell my children when they want something, well, we can't afford it. She said, but, because we can't afford it. So if they want a toy or a new bicycle or, or whatever it is, I can't say that. She said, so I have to give them a better reason than that. And that's always stuck with me because I thought, you know, we as parents could hide behind that line, we can't afford it. It doesn't matter if we can afford it or not. They still probably shouldn't get it, and not just our children. Sometimes we as adults, even if we can't afford it, the answer should still be no. There's a video on social media. It's making the rounds. You may have seen it. It, it quotes a survey done by Newsweek magazine uh, a couple of years ago. And the question was this. What, what, would you, what do you think it would take to make you happy? What kind of salary? And, and the results of, the, of the, the survey is truly a nice like, window into just the way we think. Because the person who made $30,000, they didn't want an exorbitant amount. They wanted like $40,000 or $50,000. And the one who made $80,000, well, they didn't want an exorbitant. They just wanted ninety or a hundred. And even the one that had 200000 they wanted... It was always more. Not necessarily a lot more, but it was always more. And it's that way. If you love money. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves his wealth is never satisfied with his income. And remember this, when Paul writes about the love of money being the root of all evil, that verse is not necessarily just for those who have money. It can be the one on minimum wage, unemployed, who has trouble with materialism. Sometimes we see people with much or, or means and think, oh, they're struggling. But not necessarily so. It goes both ways. I remember going on a mission trip to South America. And before I left, one of the men I was talking with, a young man, he, he showed me his house that he was building by hand. I mean, he was building it. Uh, brick by brick, block by block. This house about the size of a, maybe a one-car garage. In fact, most of our garages were probably better built and better looking than his house. But he was so proud of it. And probably in the next couple of months, he was going to finish it, and then he could get married. I thought about that, and I thought, my daughter's about to get married. I need to tell that story to her fiancé. They got married. House built, no debt, happy, content. See, sometimes in places where they have little, they have much. And these are the same Christians who were giving out of their poverty, generous spirit, much like I think the Macedonian Christians in the New Testament. See, it doesn't matter if you have a lot. It doesn't matter if you have a little. It goes back to the perspective you have of what God has entrusted you. What are your priorities? Are you content with what you have? The Apostle Paul, 
drives this home in Philippians chapter 4. I think it was Michael that kind of helped us understand how we messed up this passage so many times. Paul writes this words, these words from the Philippian jail. Look there in verse 11 through 13. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. No matter how much we possess, we must still learn contentment. And the struggles that poverty-stricken communities face are, are so different than most of us. That's not our normal. So here's the bottom line. We are blessed to bless. We are blessed to bless others. If you've been blessed financially, if you have wealth, and by the way, if you're on welfare in the United States, you're wealthier than 95% of the world's population in any of the undeveloped countries. So it's really all of us. So if you're blessed with wealth, then you in turn bless others. We need to realize first how blessed we are. I'm not in fear of someone trying to take my life as I drive home tonight. Not afraid at all. We don't know what it's like to go hungry. We could not go grocery shopping for a week or maybe two and, and live out of our pantry, couldn't we? Now, it may not be what we're used to, but we could live. Let me close with a few challenges. We're calling this about apps. Let me make some, some application. These are not blanks. something for you to think about. The first is this, is go. For some of us, maybe we need to go. When I say go, I mean maybe go on a short-term mission trip. Maybe you need to get involved in a setting where you are serving someone who has less to get out of our nice homes and to put yourself in a situation where you're serving someone who is dependent upon your help. I think that's good for us to put ourselves in those kind of situations. I think West 7th adopting Cox Middle School is a grand opportunity. A lot of our poor, poor children attend that school. The meal they get there at school, for some, is the only meal of their day. Go. That may also mean you present to your children or your grandchildren the incredible opportunity to become a missionary. And you speak of that with faith. They would listen to the voice of God. They would not just think about themselves and getting a degree and all about making money and the American dream. Instead, let's tune their hearts to God. So go, get out there, get out of our nice houses, our nice cars, and be a blessing to others. Or number two, Give. Give above and beyond what you normally give to church. Find an opportunity to weigh. Maybe it's supporting somebody else trying to go on a mission trip. Maybe it's a Christian organization that's trying to do some good. And many of you have done just that. And you know the blessing of that. That young person who goes and their eyes are opened. A spiritual lesson they'll never learn in a Bible class in a church setting. But going and ministering to others... So much good can be done. And I think there's several here. 
who were good at that, anonymously, quietly. When Michael's, Michael Bowen's mother got sick, do you remember the news? We shared it with everybody. Tried to hurriedly get them back to the state so he could go and be with her. One of our members stopped by the office the very next Monday morning, wrote out a handsome check, no strings attached, just blessing, give. Third, some of you need to equip. Equip yourselves. And here's what I mean by that. Get out of your routine. Or as our parents would say, get off your backsides. We become so comfortable with what we do. Maybe that equip means learning Spanish. So that you can be better equipped when you do go on a trip. Or maybe even just get involved in our outreach to those who speak Spanish. Maybe that equipping for you means you memorize Scripture so that you can bring someone else to the Lord. You equip yourself. And then finally, all of us need to pray. Anytime you're studying Scripture, prayer should be a part of that. God, help me to understand what is the context here? What, was this, what did it mean to the ones who heard this first? God, help me to understand what does this mean for me today? And God, help me to live my life completely dependent upon You. Not my wealth. Not my blessings. Not my family. Not how well I my good financial choices. God, let me depend on You. Let me close by trying to tie all this together. Here's a question for all of us to think about. We've read several passages from Proverbs and not nearly all of them that talk about money. Some about little, some about a lot. But if you didn't live in your current setting, your house, your apartment, wherever you live right now, what if you live somewhere else? Let me describe a home I've been to. Maybe you've been there as well. What if you slept on a mat on the floor? That was your bed. You have no air conditioning, no indoor plumbing. You didn't have enough food to feed your family tomorrow. If you had a disease, but no money for treatment, and don't even say the word insurance, because that's not even in the picture. If that was you, if that was your reality, would you be content? As a child of God, would that be enough? What if the roles were reversed? And instead of you being born into your family, and in a country where you have a, a way to get an education and better yourself, what if you found yourself in that home? What would you think of God? What would your faith be like? Would you be able to say with Solomon, give me only my daily bread. That's all I need. See, constantly battling sickness and poverty forces you to depend upon God. A desperation for the Lord that most of us, we can never comprehend because we've never experienced it. And that's why we need to constantly be praying about this. Earlier I shared about the rich young ruler that encounter he had with Jesus. The man walked away. 
And Jesus used that as a teachable moment. And we remember the story because it bothers us so. This young man who wanted to go to heaven, he asked Jesus. He, he obviously had the right desire. But he, Jesus used it as a teachable moment for those people. But I think the statements he makes, that he made then, it just reverberates for 21st century American Christians. How hard is it for the rich man to enter into the kingdom of God? Do you remember how the disciples replied to that? Well, who then can be saved? There's no hope. That's what they were thinking. Jesus looked at them and said, with men this is impossible, but not with God. With God all things are possible. Whether you're rich or poor, you can't save yourself. If you have much or little, it doesn't matter to God. It's just stuff. He made it all. He owns it all. Salvation can only come when you're humble enough to not see stuff, but open your eyes and see the Lord. And open your eyes and see your own condition. That your soul needs a Savior. It's not we're going to sing a song to encourage you to accept that salvation that's only offered through Jesus Christ. If you'd like to confess Him before this crowd, to have your sins washed away in baptism, the water is always ready. Or if we can pray for you, won't you come as we stand and sing to encourage?